of God reads this way. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is the word of our God. May he bless it as we preach it. You may be seated. So last week we started our Who's Your One campaign, right? Um, And I thought it might be helpful as we consider evangelism uh, to look at a biblical example of someone sharing the gospel with someone else. Uh, In Acts chapter 8, what we have here is like a textbook example of a faithful follower of Jesus sharing the gospel with an unbeliever. And what I love about this passage in Acts chapter 8 is how the Lord chooses Philip for this prime example. Philip and his ministry is otherwise pretty much unknown, right? Um, Some may argue he's one of the greats because of what went down in Samaria just before this, but he's pretty much a picture of ordinary, quiet, hidden ministry, the the life of the everyday Christian. In Acts chapter 6, we see Philip for the first time appointed as a table waiter, right? So that the apostles don't have to give up the ministry of prayer and the word. And so they organize, they they choose seven men from among them to go and serve the Hellenists who were being neglected in the daily distribution. Philip was one of those guys. Um, From that passage, based on the qualifications they were looking for, we know then that Philip was a man full of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. Philip is also a Greek name, so that means he was likely a Gentile, bridging the divide between the Hellenists and the Jews. Then a little later in Acts chapter 8, where we're at today, some of the early leaders decided to go down to Samaria to continue spreading the gospel, to proclaim Christ. Philip was one of them. He preached the gospel to many. It was kind of like a Billy Graham crusade. A lot of people were being healed and were being born again and being saved. And then a little later, um, he gets the call from an angel to leave Samaria. And so 
other than that, you know, Philip doesn't really go down in history as, as one of the greats. He, he wasn't stoned to death like Stephen and saw Jesus, you know, standing at his aid and, and forgiving the sins of those who killed him just like Jesus did. He didn't plant a whole lot of churches like Paul going from place to place in missionary journeys. But he served faithfully in the early church. In fact, some 20 years later, we find Philip in Acts chapter 21, a married man with four faithful prophesying believing daughters. Paul and Luke travel to Caesarea, where he's been living all this time, and they lodge with him, and he encourages them there. They take refuge in his home. And that's all we know about Philip. We don't hear from him anymore after that. That's all we know about Philip's ministry. Which I think means that our faithfulness in the long haul is measured by those ordinary, everyday decisions to live for Christ and follow His lead. God is not calling us to be the next Billy Graham. Right? God is not calling us to be those evangelists who are preaching to the masses and people are coming in by droves, but rather to be a Philip, to be faithful in the day in and day out, to raise our family and disciple our children in the Lord, to serve in the same church for 20 years, sharing the gospel with those that God puts in our path, to be full of the Spirit, to live peacefully and generously before the brothers. This is not extravagant living, but it is faithful living. That's what God calls us to be. In Acts chapter 8, the church is at large. Saul is ravaging the church. Persecution is heavy, but they're thriving, right? They are adding to their number day by day. They're sharing the gospel. They're going to uh, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They're literally doing it. In Acts chapter 8, one of those well-known magicians, Simon, who was pretty much a jerk, uh, wants the Holy Spirit, and they preach to him, and it's kind of unclear, but we think he repents and truly believes. And, and this is a time in history unlike any other, where the gospel is going forth, and it's ripe, and the harvest is plentiful, and souls are being plucked up. It is a good time, right? The gospel is going forth, just like Christ commanded, even into Africa, Ethiopia, and Egypt, and Cush as we'll see here today. There are four principles in this text that I believe will be helpful in our evangelism to help navigate sharing the gospel with our neighbors. The first one is this, listening to the Spirit. Listening to the Spirit. Let me uh, read again verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. He rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So the passage begins with this angel. The word angel, we know in the Bible, literally means a messenger. We see angels in various places, both in Old and New Testament. They are ministering spirits of God sent to serve those who are to inherit salvation. Hebrews chapter 1, right? They minister to us in unique ways, but their primary purpose is to worship God and to serve the Lord, as we see in places like Isaiah chapter 6. They are not God's primary means of revealing Himself, right? But when they minister 
To humans, they do so in extraordinary ways and in extraordinary times when God commissions them. There are indeed angels deployed across the whole earth working for the Lord 24-7, but we should not expect them to show up on our doorstep as they did in the same way for Philip because they show up in extraordinary times. Uh, What the angel teaches us, though, in this passage is that God had a divine appointment for Philip to meet. A divine appointment. And Philip was ready to accept it, wasn't he? If it wasn't challenging enough for him to leave Samaria, where everything was popping, man, it was happening there, people were coming to faith, he had to leave. And, And now, you know, there's this terrifying angel in front of him, giving him this terrifying challenge to rise and go down to Gaza, which is... The desert, right? Gaza was actually on its way down into Africa. It was a little watering hole that sojourners would stop along the the sea and and rest and get uh, hydrated. Um, But he was in Samaria. God was moving there. Why would he leave? Not only why would he leave, but why would he travel 65 miles to the middle of nowhere? Because there was a divine appointment. And he mustn't be late. So he rose and he went. And what do you know? Along the way, there rides by a chariot uh, full of Ethiopian-clad culture all over it. And in that chariot was a dark-skinned man who served the queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all her treasure. He devoted his life to her um, as a eunuch. Ethiopia was also known as Cush in those days, next to Egypt. These are African lands. Uh, the Greek word for Ethiopian can literally be uh, translated dark-skinned person. Anybody from that general vicinity is how the Greeks would have used it. And while they had their own cultural religions, the Ethiopian went to Jerusalem to worship. Did you catch that? He, he was traveling back from Jerusalem when, uh, when they encountered each other. This means he was probably a Gentile who feared the God of Israel, but he wasn't a true convert. Maybe you might call him a, a seeker. Uh, in, in fact, if he went to Jerusalem to worship, he wouldn't have been, even been allowed inside the inner temple. He could kind of go in the outside area, but because of his skin color and his you know, Gentile nationality, he wasn't allowed in. He wasn't Jewish, but he was searching. Perhaps he'd even read Isaiah 56. You know, uh, He had a copy of Isaiah, as we'll see in a moment. Isaiah 56 says this, For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. What was he? He was a eunuch. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So maybe he found a copy of Isaiah and he was reading this and Perhaps this is what called him to be a eunuch to begin with, to go and serve, because he thought, even though I'm not one of God's own, perhaps I can be better than a son and daughter. He was already believing the words of God before he was even a true convert. Now, speaking of Philip, how would he know who it was that he was supposed to meet in Gaza? Right? There was this well-known watering hole in Gaza. People would stop and rest there. He probably saw many people that day. And I think he was probably there first, just kind of waiting. Not sure what, the angel didn't even tell him that he was going to meet a person. He was just supposed to go there, right? So like, what was he doing? 
Well, he was waiting. He, he wasn't, you know, going over his evangelism spiel, thinking there was somebody ready to come by. He didn't have his evangel, evangel cube out, right, going through the pictures. He, he, was, he was just waiting. He didn't know what was going to happen. But then verse 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. The Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, directed Philip, go over there. We remember the early church chose from among them seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, right? Philip was well acquainted with the Holy Spirit. He was walking with the Spirit before walking with the Spirit was cool. He wasn't one of the twelve. He had no apostolic authority. He had not met the risen Christ. And yet, he has a sensitive, in-touch relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can sometimes be a dividing issue in churches. Or at least it can be confusing for church members at times. You have pastors who show up with no notes and say, I'm just going to let the Spirit do His job. I'm not going to study. He's just going to work through me and I'm going to open my mouth. And whatever comes out, that must be what the Holy Spirit wants, right? And you have the other pastor who showed up one Sunday morning and said, listen, y'all, I've had a terrible week. I haven't been able to prepare at all. So you know what? I'm going to have to depend on the Holy Spirit today. But you know what? I'm not going to let it happen again. Trust me. I'm not going to depend on the Holy Spirit, right? Too dangerous. And then, of course, between church members, you have the contrary beliefs of what it means to truly be in touch with the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation. The indwelling presence of God in every believer that convicts us of sin, comforts us, advocates for us, and empowers us to live holy lives here and now. It is not expected that the Holy Spirit will speak audibly to us. It is not expected that He will give us tongues of various languages. It is not expected that He will give us a sinless life after salvation. But what we can expect is that He will never leave us. He will guide us towards the truth and towards good works. And He will bring us safely home to Christ. This is the person of the Holy Spirit. And listen, as a side note, if you're a person who often uses the phrase, God told me X, Y, Z, tell people what you really mean. Because that's very confusing, isn't it? I've decided not to use that phrase because it's misleading. It makes people think you have a Holy Spirit that other people don't have, right? Right? How does God speak to us? We know that the primary way He speaks to us is through His Word. The Bible is sufficient, right? Now, if you mean that the Holy Spirit inwardly directs you with conviction and purpose and power, then say that, right? Say that. That's what He does. Now, God may indeed speak to some audibly, even today, but that's not normal. Neither is being, you know, an angel showing up at your door. Right? So don't act like it's normal. <laughs> his normal work is through his already written word. That's how he speaks to us. And his present spirit indwelling in us, convicting us of sin, and drawing us to the Savior. So, with that said, we need to listen, don't we? 
we need to learn to listen. God has given us an incredible gift, hasn't he? He's given us himself to dwell within us, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has divine appointments for all of us, if only we will listen to his guiding, to his leading. And when he does speak to us inwardly, we have this this nudge of the Holy Spirit convicting us, moving us, propelling us towards something. What should we do? Well, what does Philip do? Learning to listen, now learning to run. Learning to run. I love verse 31 because what does he do? He says, um, and he said, I'm sorry, it's uh, verse 30, not 31. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? Philip did not question the Holy Spirit. Philip did not take time to pray on it. Philip did not go ask his pastor about it. He started running. Run, Forrest, run, right? He took off towards the chariot. The moment he had this picture of clarity, the Holy Spirit was leading him towards this chariot for this purpose, this divine appointment. He ran. He ran. He didn't walk casually over there. He ran. And the Ethiopian was reading Isaiah out loud, which would have been a common practice back then. He probably heard the Ethiopian reading Isaiah, and it just clicked, right? The Holy Spirit just made it clear, like, this is why I'm here. This is why the angel told me to go to Gaza. It was an intense moment of clarity. He knew exactly what he was doing in the desert. I don't know about you, but I hated every math class I've ever taken in my entire education. Some of y'all are nodding, thank you. And some of y'all are just weirdos, if you like numbers. Um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but come on. Numbers are not fun. It's never come natural for me. I was failing algebra in the 10th grade, and the teacher invited me to come to after-school tutoring. So I'd stay after with all the bad kids who were talking. You know, I just couldn't understand it. Um, And uh, I, I just could not make sense of any of this, right? I would look at the same problem over and over and over again, and I would see her write it on the board, and I'm just staring at it, right? Like, trying to make sense of any of this. And then... After going over it again and again and again and again and again, there's this moment where something clicks, right? Oh, you you start to understand the logic behind it. That's why 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? Oh, now that, I I almost, that, that kind of makes sense for a minute, right? A brief moment of clearness. I believe this is a little bit of what Philip experienced when he saw the Ethiopian chariot. Now this makes sense. This makes sense. When we experience those moments of clearness, when the Holy Spirit is directing us, we need to sear it into our minds. Philip was used to following the Holy Spirit. He he had seared many moments into his mind when the Holy Spirit directed him. He knew exactly what to do. Without hesitation, he ran to the chariot. He didn't worry about the fact that he was a foreigner and he looked different from him. He didn't worry about the fact that he was serving under a royal chariot, a royal uh, uh, title, and he he might offend their their nationality. He didn't worry about who was watching, all his entourage, the other Ethiopians he was traveling with, or what time it was in the day, or what he had to do later that day. He ran to the chariot. And it may be difficult for us at first, but we need to start running 
when the Holy Spirit prompts us. And if we're listening to the Holy Spirit, we will know when that, that happens. We, when, when we gain that confidence in the Spirit, this moment of clearness, we need to, to not pause. We need to run. We need to go. When we feel the Holy Spirit's prompt for us to read our Bibles. Oh, I haven't read my Bible today. I haven't read it all week. Run. Run towards the Word. When the Holy Spirit sparks you and says, Oh, I haven't prayed. I haven't talked to my Father. I haven't spent time with my friend. Pray. Pray. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to get to church on time, to go to bed early on Saturdays, do it. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to love a brother or sister who is suffering, do it. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to go and tell someone about Jesus in your life, don't hesitate to bring up that spiritual conversation. We need to obey immediately and fully. And you know why we don't obey immediately and fully? Because we think we know better. We think we'll be safer and happier if we just do our own thing, even though the Spirit is urging us to obey. But if we can recall those moments of clearness when we did obey and we found ourselves truly happy in the will of God, that will help us obey again the next time. Oswald Chambers made it into a sermon twice in a row, which is unusual, but he says uh, in his devotional, In our abandonment, we give ourselves over to God just as God gave himself for us without any calculation. The consequences of abandonment never enter our outlook because our life is taken up in him. So the simple application is this. If there is the least bit of a spiritual impulse within you to befriend someone and start sharing Jesus with them, don't hesitate. Run. <laughs> Run, right? Get after it. Don't wait another minute. If you have to tell them, listen, this might sound crazy, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is really prompting me to talk to you about Jesus. It, you might be the weirdest person, you know, ever for saying that, but man... Obeying Christ, no matter the cost, without calculation sometimes, is what the Lord requires of us. And our lives are in His hands. What have we to fear? But I think there's a mistake we often make. We gain momentum in the Spirit. We, we get excited. We get bold. We start telling people about Jesus. But sometimes we miss the fact that we're talking to actual people with names and a life and families and jobs and aspirations and we're not really interested in any of that. We just want to get in, tell them about Jesus, and get out. We miss out on love. We miss out on love, don't we? Loving people is my third point. Look at verse 30. I'll move quickly. So, so Philip ran to him. He, he heard him reading the gospel, or reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you were reading? Verse 31 says, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Do you hear that? The Ethiopian invited Philip into his life. Come up and sit in my chariot. Philip asks a question. That's the first thing I don't want, I don't want you to miss here. Right? Philip asks if I can help. 
He doesn't insist that he needs help or force an unnatural conversation or just start talking. He asks a genuine question of concern. Hey, that sounds like Isaiah. I've read Isaiah. How long have you been reading Isaiah? Are you into Jewish prophecy? Do you know what that means? Do you want to talk about it? That's interesting. Tell me more. What are you reading? Right? Many times we we encounter this and we think, well, this is all too polished and perfect, right? What are the chances? This has nothing to do with our evangelism today. There's no chariots riding by with some dude reading Isaiah who is, you know, seeking the Lord. I mean, come on. Isaiah 53. But, you know, there was a pastor once who was riding on a plane, and, and he was by himself, and he prayed for an opportunity to share Jesus with someone on that plane. He sat down, and he was reading like a C.S. Lewis book or something, and uh, he noticed some, the person sitting next to him was also reading. And so he said, what you reading? What you reading? And no joke, the guy was literally like, well, someone gave me a Bible, and I'm reading John chapter 3. Do you know much about the Bible? What does it mean to be born again? Like literally, come on. Does it need to get any better than that? Can it get any better than that? So listen, it does happen. But the bigger point is that Philip started by asking a genuine question. People know whether we are actually concerned for their souls or whether we're trying to check off a box to make our pastor happy, right? Or to to get in and get out, get the tract and, and make ourselves feel better. People know the difference. The Ethiopian saw Philip's sincerity. The Holy Spirit was already working in his heart, so he welcomed the help. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? What an amazing answer. This shows the beautiful relationship between God's sovereignty and our obedience. The Holy Spirit that was pushing Philip to go and talk to this person was the same Holy Spirit that was already melting the Ethiopian's heart, was already convicting him of sin, was already showing him the way of salvation. The same Holy Spirit brought this divine appointment together for such a time as this. However, it took Philip actually obeying, leaving Samaria and going down to Gaza, opening his mouth and declaring to him the good news about Jesus. This was one of Jesus' other sheep. And he said, Philip, you've got to go and get him. You've got to go and get him. And the, notice the second thing here. The Ethiopian invites Philip to get into the chariot. And Philip accepts. Right? Now, wait a second. Wait a second. I, I thought all I had to do was give him the gospel tract. Right? Go through the routine. Ten commandments. You're a sinner. You need Jesus. Get out of here. Lord, you didn't say anything about getting all up close to these people. Mixing my life and their affairs. I can't hang out with sinners. I can't hang out with Ethiopians. And while Philip was just getting in the chariot, we see something deeper, don't we? The Great Commission calls us to not only share the gospel, but to share our very lives. What does Paul say to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 8? So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now, what if Philip had said no? Thanks, but no thanks. It's not really normal for Greeks and Ethiopians to ride in chariots together. I would, but I'd rather not. I'm kind of introverted. I put up a wall. I don't let people in too easily. I'm not trying to get up close, right? Tell you what, let me give you my preacher's number. 
He would love to talk to you. I know this other spiritual person who actually knows Jesus and willing to talk, talk to you about Jesus. Let me tell you about them. And listen, here's another one. I don't want to hear any of this, well, you know, it's just because of the coronavirus right now. Otherwise, I would be sharing Jesus with people, but it's just not safe, you know? I, I, I would, but listen, were we doing this before the coronavirus? We don't get to use that excuse, do we, if we weren't already doing it before? What if Christ had not shared his life with us? What if Christ had merely shown us the way without giving us the way? What if Christ had preached the gospel to us from far away in heavenly places without coming down in the flesh to be with us? Not only making disciples of the twelve, but saying, you're my friends and I'm your friend now. And he lived with tax collectors and sinners. Christ gave his life. He intertwined himself with us. He came down here on earth and had the audacity to love us. Without his life, of course, we have no hope. His life is the remedy for our sin. His life is the, uh, our death. He died our death. He rose from the dead so that we can live his life. His resurrection now is our life. He gave his life for us. We saw him lay down his life for the sheep last week. Dear brother or sister, do you believe in Christ? Have you trusted in his life, not only his way, but his life, his death and resurrection for your salvation? Does your soul know the good friend of Christ who laid down his life? Come, repent, believe today. There is good news in the name of Jesus. He has shared his life with us. So, Christians, don't just run to the finish line and stop short there, right? Learn to love people. Love people. Form a relationship. Talk to them about the troubles of their life. Ask them questions about their families and their interests. Sit next to them. Don't just be an evangelist. Be a friend of sinners. Finally, it's crucial for us that we do actually know what to say when the time comes, isn't it? Finally, number four, looking in the Word. Looking in the Word. Verse 32. Now the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. With Bible in hand, Philip shared the gospel with this man. Only God and the angels know how long they rode in that chariot together, talking about the things of God and sharing the scriptures. I'm sure Philip covered the whole chapter, explaining the lineage of Jesus, the stump of Jesse, and the shoot that arose from him, the necessary sufferings of the Messiah that were predicted and actually happened, 
The incarnation of the eternal Son of God coming down in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary. The perfect atonement of sins through His blood as He was led to the slaughter for us. And Philip, I'm sure, referred to other scriptures as well, backing up all of these doctrines. They sat examining these things together. And the Ethiopian's heart began to melt as he discovered God's grace. So let me ask you this. It's one thing to say you are walking by the Spirit and you are sensitive to the Spirit's direction. But can you say as well that if He directs you today, you can explain Christ from the Scriptures? Can you explain Jesus from the Bible? Can you open your mouth? What what if the Ethiopian had been in Genesis? Exodus? Leviticus? What if he was in the Minor Prophets? What if he was in Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes? What if he was in Esther, Ruth, Job? What if he was in Ezekiel or Jeremiah? 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Judges, Lamentations. Where would he have gone? Every page of the book points to the promise of a Savior. The offspring of Jesse, the, the shoot of the stump, the, the one who would crush the serpent's head, the promised Jesus. Every page of this book points to him, especially the Old Testament. It's chock full of stories and people that are shadows and types of the one who was to come. Our blessed Redeemer. If we don't see Him in the book, how can we show Him to others? One of the first things Jesus did after He rose from the dead was He opened up the Old Testament and He started teaching about how the Scriptures refer to Himself. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The gospel of Jesus, revealed as it is written in scripture, has the power to save. Just as Jesus explained that day, uh, just as Jesus was explained that day by Philip, the Holy Spirit acted and spoke. To the Ethiopian. And just as the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot, so now the Holy Spirit spoke to the Ethiopian, saying, Wake up, wake up, wake up. You're alive! Christ has been given the ultimate sacrifice for your sin. Look, dear eunuch, believe your reward is in heavenly places. You can be a son of God. Believe, believe, believe. Wake up! You're alive! You're alive! You're changed in an instant. Your heart is melted. The hard stone is gone. You are now a new creation, born again to a heavenly hope. He was led to the slaughter for you. And he woke up. He believed. He was even baptized that very day in the pool at Gaza. And all the Ethiopians he was traveling with looked and saw these things. And Arrhenius believed that this Ethiopian became the missionary to Africa who brought the gospel to the entire continent. I don't know if they ever met again. But I'm sure because of Philip's faithfulness and generosity, he knew he always had a place to stay over in Caesarea. And I'm sure they met again. I'm sure they met again. 
in heavenly places. Who is your one? Who is your one? Will you follow the active prompting of the Holy Spirit as He directs and guides you? Will you run without hesitation or even calculating the cost? Will you run for the very possibility of a divine appointment so that you won't be late? Will you run? Will you give not only the gospel, but your very life, sharing your concerns and interests and asking questions about people and being involved in their affairs and caring for them genuinely? Will you love people? Will you point people to the true Jesus, the Jesus of this Bible, who came and gave his life like a sheep led to the slaughter so that we could know life and life eternal and have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Will you show them the true Jesus of the Bible? I'm reminded of the the good old hymn. Maybe it should be our anthem as we leave today. I am resolved. I am resolved. Who will go with me? Come, friends, without delay. Come. Taught by the Bible led by the Spirit, we will walk the heavenly way. Let's make disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this example of evangelism. I pray that we would not see it as a cliche, um, once in a, a blue moon kind of thing that Philip got to experience that we know nothing about. I pray rather that it would be real, it would be alive, we would be well aware of what it's like to look into the eyes of a lost person and to care about them, to sit next to them, and to to share with them the hope that we have in Jesus. Give us a love for your Bible that helps us to share the true Jesus. Give us a love for others that helps us to sit next to them in chariots. Give us boldness to open our mouths when the time comes and to run when the Holy Spirit prompts. Help us to Be sensitive to your voice, to follow the shepherd's voice, to follow the Holy Spirit, and to go when you say go, without delay. Let us be resolved to live this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.